Does anybody that knows me, are you really surprised that I let off with a Forrest Gump? Sometimes there aren't enough rocks. If you're not familiar with the show, Forrest and Jenny have been friends their entire lives. And Jenny's gone through sexual abuse at home from her father. And that's the house that she grew up in. Now, all of us here come here and we have smiles on our faces. We're with family today. We love being here. We love the people we're here with. But we all have things inside. Open wounds or scars that nobody else can see. Jenny's scar was from an abuse that's unimaginable to me. But I have scars. The pain of these open wounds and these scars can keep us from being who it is that God wants us to be. God wants you to understand that you are the most loved creature that he created. And when you carry that pain and you don't let those scars heal, you can't be that creature that he created. Now, the rocks that you've got are not for throwing. Just because John's not here doesn't mean that you get to throw rocks at somebody for your enjoyment for today. But I would like you to look at your rock if you got one. Pull it out and take a look at it. And what I want you to see is the rock has scars too. It has imperfections and scratches and indentations and rounded edges where this world has made an impact. The environment the rock was in has changed the rock. But in every way, no matter what the imperfections of the rock are, it's still a rock. Now with us, it's a little bit different. The imperfections and the things that have hurt us and changed us in the world, they're on the inside where people can't see, but they're there just as much as if they were on the outside like the rock. I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. And I don't want you to think of a purple pony. Think of whatever you want to think about, but don't think of a purple pony. My daughter Amanda had a My Little Pony that was purple, so it's harder for me not to think of a purple pony. But please don't think of a purple pony. You can open your eyes now. See, three times, that's how our brain imprints information. So how many of you could think of other things but not a purple pony? You see, there's an adversary that we have when we go out into the world that reminds us of things like those deep scars that we have inside. And he knows that three times is how our brain works. And so he imprints that information on his brain that he can remind us of who we are or who we think we are. He wants us to identify with our sin, not with our Savior. A long time ago, over 40 years ago, I went out on a double date. 
two very pretty young ladies. My wife recently found out that one of these was her best friend and didn't know about this. Took my mom's new car, brand new car, because they were very pretty, very nice, and we really wanted to impress them. There was some drinking that night. You can guess where it went. We let the ladies off. We started home. It started to rain. I swerved to miss a semi on my side of the road. I fishtailed twice, and I went off through a grove of small sapling trees. My friend and I were fine. Mom's brand new car, not so much. So after changing a tire and limping it in first gear back to my hometown, took my friend home, and then I went to my home. Told my mom I was home, I was safe. And I told her that I'd wrecked her brand new car. She asked me if I was okay. I said, yeah. She said, how bad was it? I said, I think it's totaled. She said, Doug, I've never been so disappointed in you. To this day, 40 years later, I can't forget how tight my chest feels when I hear those words. Now, my mom never brought that up again. She never reminded me. She didn't imprint on my brain three times through the power of three that I had disappointed her so greatly. But I was a Christian young man, and I had an adversary, and my adversary made sure that I remembered consistently who I was. I was the son that disappointed his mother. I was the son that disappointed his heavenly father. Do you have those experiences? You know, in 1 Peter 8, 5, 8, I'm sorry, Peter warns us. He says, be aware. Actually, he says, be sober, be vigilant, because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Make no mistake about it, we have an adversary. And when we don't understand that, when we don't realize it, we put ourselves at risk. The devil prowling around like a lion is a deep truth. And you need to remember that. Because if the devil can make you identify with your sin, he's halfway home. He's halfway to keeping you from identifying with your Savior. So I want to go over three, the power of three, examples. Of people in the Bible that you've probably read about. And maybe you didn't look at them as having the same kind of deep, scarring pain that you have, but they did nonetheless. The first is in John 4. If you have your Bibles or your phones and you want to turn there, go ahead. It's the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, if you know the story, you know that the Samaritan woman had been married five times. 
she went to the well to draw water in the heat of the day. And the reason that she did that was because she didn't really want to run into anybody there. She didn't want to have to face the ridicule or the questions about the life that she had led. Now, Jesus was, had a date with destiny with her at the well that day. So he sent his disciples to the city to get food. And he went to meet her at the well in the heat of the day. Now, when Jesus went to meet her, it was strange for a couple of reasons. The first of which is no Hebrew man would meet a woman alone unless it was a woman that he was betrothed to be with. And the second reason was the Samaritans were hated by the Hebrews. And they were hated because 700 years earlier, during the Assyrian occupation, the Samaritans did what they thought was right. And they intermarried with the Assyrians. And they did so to make the time of their occupation under the Assyrian armies as peaceful for them as it could be. Well, the Hebrews didn't want to bow down to anybody. So they hated the Samaritans. They hated them with a passion. Now Jesus asks her for a drink at the well. And when he asks her for a drink, she says... Who are you, a Jew, that you would ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink at the well? And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said, But you have nothing to draw water from or with. Are you greater than the prophet Jacob who gave us this well? Jesus answered her and he said, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well spring of water, springing up to eternal life. The woman says, Well, I want some of that water. Give me that water. He says, Go get your husband. She said, I have no husband. He said, you're right to say that you have no husband because you've had five husbands and the man that you are with is not your husband. Now that woman, a very tainted reputation, realized that she was with the Messiah and she returned to her home village and she told people about her encounter with Christ and through one encounter with Christ, her identity changed who she saw herself as changed from being a woman of tainted reputation to a valued child of God. And it says, many came to believe because of her testimony. And Jesus was asked to stay, and he stayed two days. And many more came to believe after hearing Jesus speak. That's the first case that I want you to remember of somebody who had deep, deep scars and deep, open wounds. And through Christ, her identity changed. Next, we go to Mark 14. And we find Peter. 
Christ said, I'll build my church on you. He changed his name from Simon to Peter, which meant rock. He's going to change him to be the rock that he'll build the church off of. Christ's church. Our church. And in the upper room trying to prepare the disciples for the day that he would leave. His journey to the cross. He told them the prophecy from Zechariah would come true. That they would strike the shepherd and the sheep would fall away. Now these 12 guys that were walking with Christ, they all said, Not me, not me, Lord, I'll not fall away. I'll be the strong one. I'll go with you wherever you go. I'll follow you anywhere. And Peter was particularly strong. I will die with you. I will die for you. Jesus said before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. Peter didn't believe. So when they took Christ away and they were separated, Peter became afraid. And a servant girl said, aren't you one of those that was with Jesus? Not me. Again, later on the same evening, she said, aren't you one of the followers of the way, the Christ? Not me. I don't know what you're talking about. And later on, a group of men said, you're a Galilean. Surely you are one of them. He said, not me. And the rooster crowed twice. And we read that Peter wept bitterly. How do you get over that? How do you get over hurting that way? Your best friend, the one who saved you, the one that you'd seen do miracles, the one that you'd walked with for three years, your wife and your children at home while you followed them. How do you get over that? What would happen if you denied your best friend publicly? How would you feel? Imagine how you'd feel if your best friend was Jesus. Hopefully your best friend is Jesus. So how did Peter get to be a restored human being? How did God deal with Peter? How did Jesus deal with Peter? who had denied him. Turn to John 21. Remember the power of three, imprinting things three times on your brain? When John 21, we find that a stranger, Jesus, is on the beach. Simon Peter has gone back to being more Simon than Peter. And he's fishing out on the sea. They fished all night. They haven't caught anything. There's a stranger on the beach who yells out to them, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. They do. They had nothing to lose. They pulled in 153 fish, and their nets held them all. And they came to the shore, 
and they realized that this stranger was the Lord. And he had a fire built for them on the shore. And they cooked, and they ate. And after eating, Jesus turned to Peter, and he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Simon was deeply grieved. He said, Lord, you know that I love you. And a third time, he said, tend my sheep. Three times, Simon Peter denied Christ, and three times Christ affirmed his love for Peter and Peter's identity in him as his rock. No longer Simon, but as Peter, the rock that Christ would build his church on. Now the third example I want to go to is Paul, the apostle. The one that I relate to the most. Maybe the one that disappointed God the most. Maybe that's why I relate to him the most. In Acts 7, we read about who Paul is. And if you don't know and you haven't read, you'll find that his name was Saul. And he was a persecutor of Christians. He not only persecuted Christians, he liked to see them executed. And in the seventh chapter of Acts, we find Stephen, who was the first deacons of the church, one of the first deacons. He was a preacher. He was also one who fed widows and children. He did the work of the church. In every way, Stephen was what we would aspire to be as Christian disciples of Jesus Christ. And for his belief, he was run out of town and he was stoned. And while he was being stoned, a young Pharisee, a Pharisee's Pharisee, one who was well studied in the law, one who hated the Christians and the way, held all of the garments for the people while they stoned Stephen. And as Stephen was being stoned to death, he looked into the heavens and he cried out for God not to pass judgment, but to forgive those who were killing him. Saul was one of those people. We move a little bit forward. We go to chapter 9 of Acts. And what we find there is Saul being blinded on the road to Damascus. Saul is going to Damascus with permission of the Sanhedrin to do as much damage and round up as many Christians as he can to bring them to justice, to get a handle on this way, these followers of Jesus Christ. And Saul has a passion about what he's going to do when he goes to Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, he's confronted by someone. There's a bright light. 
and Saul loses his vision. He becomes blinded. And he hears, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he answers, Lord, who are you? He said, I am Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? And he tells Saul to go on into Damascus and to find a man named Ananias. Now, Ananias is a follower of the way, and he's heard all about Saul, and he wants nothing to do with Saul. But he responds to a dream that he has to answer Jesus and to go find Saul and to sit with him and to be with him. And in a few days, Saul's sight is restored and the scales fall from his eyes. And he becomes not only a follower, but the most zealous follower of the way. He follows Christ. He's experienced an encounter with Jesus Christ that has changed his life. And everything that he thought he knew, all of a sudden, it was, was not the same. He became a follower of Jesus. But he still carried the same pain that the rest of us carry with us. Because none of us are perfect. We're all broken, messed up people. None of us are capable of being what we should be for Jesus Christ. And we're certainly not capable of it when we carry with us everything that our adversary would like us to carry. If he can make me and you feel like we don't deserve grace, and we don't, how can we ever be what we should be for the church? How can we ever go out into the world and be a disciple for Jesus Christ? How can we ever love people? If we don't experience the love that Christ has for us, in a way that changes our lives? How can we ever take that into the world? And shouldn't we want to? You know, your friend that, that goes out and, and goes to dinner and, and all of a sudden they have a couple of drinks and it turns into three or four. And they've got that thing going on inside them, that wound, that scar that you can't see. How will you ever reach them if you don't understand how truly valuable and beautiful grace is. If you don't understand that none of us can ever be any better than the woman at the well, or Peter, or Paul. Sometimes the scars that we carry inside us are valuable. They're valuable because they remind us of how great grace is and how much we need it how very much we need it. And we can leave here today and we can feel really good about ourselves. But if we do that and it's not feeling good about ourselves because of Christ and in Christ, then we'll lose what we need to take to the rest of the world. In 2 Corinthians 12 in verse 9, Paul talks about grace. He talks about this pain that Satan has attacked him with three times, and three times he's asked God to take this pain away, and God just won't take it away. Why won't you take this pain away? And the Lord answers him, and he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. 
Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses and insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If you realize how weak you are and you welcome the strength of Christ to fall upon you, you will find your strength. Paul's wounds were like ours. They were deep open wounds that Christ made into beautiful scars. He understood the value, the depth, the width, and the height of God's grace and just how very, very much we all need it. And that's why Paul was able to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, to us, to those that first weren't open to the gospel. Paul became the apostle to us, and he did it from being a killer and a persecutor to being an apostle of Jesus Christ. Flawless. The moment that you called his name, you were made flawless. Let me say it again because I want the power of three for your new year for you to leave this place today. As incapable as I am of describing the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want you guys to understand that you've been made flawless in the eyes of Christ. In the eyes of your God, you are flawless creatures. He made you beautiful and perfect in every way. He made you flawless. And your scars have become beautiful scars that you shouldn't be ashamed of. You should look at those scars as lights that shine the grace of Christ. I want you to look at your rocks again. You see the effects of the UV rays of the sun and the effects of the wind and the rain and the water and how they've rounded the edges and how they've made imperfections in the rock. And you think of all those things, the way the world has affected them, but do you think about the way that the rock has affected the world? The power of the water that it took instead of something behind it. The power of the sun and what was shaded by the rock. The power of the wind and what was blocked by the rock. Well, it's the same with you and with your scars. Your scars become powerful objects of God's grace. If you'll just use those scars, don't be ashamed of them. They shine the light of Christ for all the good that they have done. All of the grace of God has changed your life. And the only thing that's holding that back from you showing that to the world is you. And understanding that you are truly flawless. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21 and 22, we read that he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says our bodies are temples for the Holy Spirit. We are not our own. We have been bought at a price. You have to understand that your sin is not your sin anymore. You cannot claim it back. You don't own it anymore. It's been taken from you. Somebody paid a very high price for your sin.
it wouldn't be right for you to try and take it back. As we come to the time of invitation, I want you to let go of your rocks. And there'll be a place for you to let go of them when you leave here. And when you leave here today, I want you to gain your new identity just as Simon became Peter again, just as Saul became Paul, just as the woman at the well became a follower of Christ. There's a business card for you that you'll get when you leave. And it says flawless. Your name is a child of the one true king. And your job is a disciple. As you come into this new year, I want this to be your identity. For all of my shortcomings in showing you the gospel, I want you to take this card, put it at your vanity, on your dash of your car, in your wallet. And when you feel the whisperings of the evil one, I want you to look at the card. And I want you to remember that you have been made flawless by the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for this day and the breath in my lungs. I thank you for allowing me to be here amongst your wonderful people. I thank you for your grace, for the wonder of your love. And I ask that in this new year, we would show our beautiful scars to the world. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.